and welcome to Reverend Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. It is Friday, that's right, we're doing another Friday night show, June 15th, 2018, and Rachel's back. Hi. Mostly. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I um, I have uh, apparently viral bronchitis. Um, that's what my nurse practitioner tells me. Uh, and laryngitis. This is the best my voice has sounded in like a whole week. So please forgive my Kathleen Turner impression. Um, and I will try to pause this if I have bouts of coughing, but I feel a lot better than I have for the last week. So that's good. Okay. Uh, yeah, I know you all were thrilled with my solo show, uh, last week. Um, but here we are. And stuff happened, and we'll jump right into it, I guess. <coughs> We're going to um, talk about it. Okay, so... All of it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Early this week, uh, the stupid summit happened. The one that, remember, it was on again, it was off again, it's on again. North Korea summit, right? Yes. Trump met with Kim Jong-un in Singapore, uh, which Trump tried to apparently scuttle almost or blow up at the last minute because he got they got there a day early to essentially rest and prep, and then Trump got bored, I guess, sitting in his hotel room, <laughs> and was like, "Why can't we just do it now? I'm bored. We're already here. I'm bored. We're here. Just call Kim. Let's do it now." And his advisor said to be like, "No, uh, it's scheduled for tomorrow. That's when it's going to be. We can't just." change all the things and the North Koreans will think we're screwing with them or up to something. It's, you know, but I'm bored. Hey, I, I'm in Singapore. There's nothing to do. <laughs> I'm so bored. <laughs> Singapore, all, always known as the most boring city on the planet. Yeah. There's probably nothing to do or experience. No Fox news on see. the TV. It's just Singapore. It's like the, you know, it's like, you know, a farmland in Nebraska. There's definitely nothing to see or do in Singapore. He's fucking Bored in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. He's bored and restless and just <laughs> wants to get this shit over with, I guess. But anyway, uh, the one of his aides, including apparently Sarah Sanders, who was with him, had to be like, no, we, we should wait for tomorrow. And then they brought up the TV ratings. Because, you know, the TV ratings, if we do it on a Sunday, you know, a bunch of people miss it. And then Monday, it'll TV ratings. Oh, and then he's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, TV. Oh, yeah. okay. I will guess I'll wait in. if more people are going to see it and the yeah. TV ratings will be better. Yeah, yeah. Great. Great. So that's the president. That's so. the president. Cool, cool. So as pretty much as we predicted, I don't know what happened behind closed doors, but I'm sure Kim kissed his ass and told him how wonderful he was, and Trump returned the favor. So he must have done all that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because now Kim is the best guy ever, and he's so funny, and he's a snappy dresser, and don't worry about all the human rights atrocities because it just means he's strong and and when he snaps his fingers people stand up for him i wish my people would do that i want (laughs) my people to do that he says yeah yeah i want to be a dictator this is bullshit how come i can't be a dictator i want to parade and i want to snap my fingers and people will sing about me and clap and they'll march and they'll say how great i am and the fake news won't exist because i'll just tell you what the news is and how come i can't be a fucking dictator yeah why did i run for president of this country how come i'm not just a fucking dictator <laughs> democracy is bullshit yeah pretty much uh that's pretty much what he said and then in terms of what was negotiated we got nothing uh for north korea Trump unilaterally, without apparently consulting his allies or the military, 
said, we're going to stop the joint military exercises that the Americans and the South Korean and the Japanese have been doing for years. For to Which pre- Trump called war games. War games. Which what? is not what we're supposed to call them. <laughs> when we're negotiating to stop them, right? We're supposed to call them military, military exercise. exercises. Whatever you want to call them. War games seems... But that's what the president called them. Yeah. Okay. So he's like, okay, we'll stop doing that. And then his ally's like, okay. Uh, and then and then what? And then and then he he signed a pledge that says one day he's gonna nu- denuclearize maybe or something. It's very vague language. We're gonna talk about it maybe later. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and so Trump immediately went to Twitter and said. Good news, everybody. There's no more nuclear threat from North Korea. I, I saved everybody. <laughs> I mean, no, literally, he pretty much said that. Right. And, of course, North Korea has not denuclearized. There is no concrete plans to do so. There's certainly nothing like what we had in the Iran agreement that he just ripped up, where there would be inspection of nuclear facilities and any sort of way to enforce uh, this adherence to proposed denuclearization is just a very vague, flowery kind of, yeah, we, we we should do that. It's like when you want to open your marriage and your wife is like, yeah, you know, we should really talk about that in the future. Like, I'm not taking it off the table because I think it's something we should really discuss at a later date. And, you know, I'll really give it some serious thought. And, and you know, we should... um. We should, we should, we should think about that. And, and I'm, I'm not the, totally then, against it. And then the husband you know. goes great and he goes out banging somebody the very next night. Is that what you're saying? No, that's what, like, <laughs> that's what he thinks, right? But the next time they have a conversation, she's like, no, I didn't say we could do that. I said we should t- think about it later. <laughs> no, no, you can't do, no. It's very, or, you know, vice versa. Gender it's very specific. specific example that you came up with, Rachel. Well, I just think it's true, right? Like, <laughs> here's a really vague promise that's never going to go anywhere that's going to give you false hope. And then you're going to be really, like, happy until you realize that it's never going to happen. Well, no. For me, it was, like, the opposite of all that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You can reverse the genders if you want. Yeah. No, for mine, it was, <laughs> hey, maybe we should do this thing. Oh, I did already. Oh, I, oh, well, I already did. So retroactively, <laughs> is it okay? Right. No, no, not really. But anyway, right. we digress a lot. What are we talking about? Sorry. North Korea? Yep. Vague promises that have no intention of being kept. So that happened. And then, of course, there was the press reaction, which the the, the initial press reaction was the whole, okay, the, we got to play devil's advocate here. Oh yeah, Trump went into this totally unprepared, and none of this makes sense. And he acted like an imbecile, and he saluted the he North saluted Korean a general. general of the North Korean military. Which, but but maybe this is good. No, did you see Kim's face? I, I know he's like in the background, like he's almost photobombing this shot of <laughs> Trump saluting his general, and his face is just like. Oh, what the fuck is happening right now? He literally is like a deer in headlights, like looking like, what the fuck? Why is the is president he doing? Is the president of the United States saluting my general? Is that happening? Does everybody it, else it, see this? You just gotta know, like, John, everybody else see this? John Kelly's in the background, just like, like biting his lip till it bleeds. Just wants like, to like cut his fucking hand off fucking, so he can never do it again. You fucking idiot! What are you doing? But I'm saying the press, their first, their first initial thrust was especially a lot of the quote liberal media because the liberal media has to look objective they're like well yeah it was it was unprepared and sloppy and trump's crazy and stupid but maybe this is good maybe yeah maybe it's crazy enough to work and then the details started coming out that like 
we we gave concessions and got nothing. And Literally. now Trump is praising a murderous dictator and blowing off human rights abuses. And now it was, oh, oh, it's what we thought it was. Oh, oh, okay. Do you remember that video that happened a couple of years ago? Um, and it was a Korean, North Korean woman who... I thought you were going to be talking about Gangnam Style. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's South Korean, by the way. Yeah. They don't have joy in North Korea. No. Um... It was this South Korean woman who had defected, and uh, I can't remember why she was speaking or where, um, but she gave this really beautiful speech about what life is like in North Korea. Yeah. And it got some traction back then, but it's really been making the rounds again because you have the president of the United States saying, oh, this guy's pretty great, and North Korea is a great country, and they like salute him, and they love him, <laughs> and, and people love and him, everybody's he's so great, and he's a strong leader. And then she's just like, you know... Imagine a world where the internet doesn't exist. Imagine a world where there's only one news channel and that news channel is run by a dictator. Imagine a world where people are arrested and imprisoned and murdered and raped um, for saying a bad word against the leader. Imagine a world in which people starve to death in the streets because the government can't, you know, provide, refuses to allow food aid and the rest of the world is turned against us. Imagine this world. This is what North Korea is. And listening to her, and she's this tiny little thing, right? Because North Korean people are like genetically getting smaller because they're malnourished to an extent that like it's, it's insane. Um, and then you listen to her say that and you realize like, don't get fooled by, don't get sucked into the bullshit that like listening to her be like, right. That's why we haven't met with them. That's why this is a bad idea. That's why this is a country that we have sanctions against that we do not bring to the international table because they are committing human rights atrocities against their own people on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And the president just went and met with him and saluted his fucking general and said he's really funny. Isn't it great? Yeah, and a lot of the media went along. And of course the Republicans are going along because they're spineless and they're hypocrites and but the media has kind of gone along and kind of forgot about that for a minute and said, isn't this great? And of course, another thing to point out is that the North Korea, we've always known North Korea has had nukes, but when things got a little scarier is when Trump ratcheted up the rhetoric. Right. The, the little the rocket man stuff and, and, mm-hmm. and just talking casually about war. And then he brought on Bolton. And, and so, so he, and it, <laughs> He ratcheted it up and made things crazy. And then he's going to turn around and say, oh, don't worry. I took care of it. Now you're safe. And then at the same token, he's like, well, they, you know, we got these hostages released. It's like, yeah, they took the hostages. So that would be a chip to get them something. So now we're rewarding that behavior. And to make matters worse, I don't know if it was Jim Jordan or Tom Cotton. I think it was Tom Cotton that went on one of the Sunday shows and they asked him like, well, you know, what what do you think of this? Is this the sort of we should do this diplomacy without conditions. And he's like, well, once, once a, a rogue nation has nuclear weapons, you have to treat them differently. And it's like, Oh, so now we're going to reward that behavior. So uh, Iran's so problem. As it, soon as like ISIS gets a fucking suitcase nuke, they get to we'll come to the sh- UN and they get to become a country that we have to treat differently. Yeah. Then we can go shake their hands. They're and not talk just about a terrorist organization. Leaders. That's really fucking scary. And we should make sure they don't have that nuke anymore. No. Oh, as soon as you get your hands, it's a great message we should be sending to the world. As soon as you get your hands on a nuke, 
then you're at the table with the United States. Yeah, exactly. And every other world power. Exactly. So, Great. <laughs> that's not a huge incentive at all. So Iran's problem isn't that they're supposedly trying to build a bomb, it's that they don't have one yet. Right. So that's not creating incentive. I mean, what the fucking Christ? Because they don't have it. There's no defense for this. So they're twisting themselves in knots to try to make sense and put themselves and Trump in the best light. And, and this is what we come up with, is this garbage. And it's, yeah. not, it's not even garbage. It's, it's nonsense. It's like word salad. Like, what the fuck kind of policy is this? Now, to make matters worse, um, somebody, and we don't know exactly who, but it was presented by Trump and his delegation there, made this very bizarre propaganda video. Oh, yeah, the trailer. Yeah, you want to talk about that a little bit? So I didn't watch it, but I heard it on NPR. They played it. And it's this very strange propaganda video but it came from the u.s and it came from i guess specifically the state department commission no one's really sure where it came from they keep changing they say the state department well, the state department the like claimed it at one point but like somewhere within the u.s intelligence services or the state department this video was commissioned and it's like i think michael bay did <laughs> i mean straight up right it's like it's like straight like late 90s early 2000s action movie trailer even with the voice that they don't the, do like anymore. the like, voice guy like the, the guy, honest you trailers guy that they don't really do trailers like that anymore the guy you they remember from this. the like one man back in 2026 mm. this man did blah. One it's man, that guy one mission yeah and like it's it's a it's a propaganda video and it, and it, it said things like like join the world order and enjoy the economic benefits. Yeah. And then there was like some kind of threat in it that was yeah. like, you can either choose dearmament or destruction or something like that. And like, it was just fucking crazy. And then they're like, but there were shots like, of like, like Kim Jong-un waving. Yeah. And, looking. and like flowery Asian looking people <laughs> waving and like wearing kimonos or something, which is like totally wrong. <laughs> Totally wrong for like the, the fucking country. country we're talking about, but who cares? Because it's propaganda. White people don't know. And then yeah. the, the argument so it wasn't was made, for the Koreans. But yeah. the argument that was made was, was for the Koreans. That this was their like because there's this perception because his father Kim Jong Il liked American television and, and film and media so much yeah. that they hoped that maybe that love of, and obsession sort of with it had been passed along. So if they made like a little American movie about this peace talk and this and this peace process that Kim Jong Un would be like this le- legit yo did you see this uh, can I can I can we I can say we can have like a narrator that sounds like God and some dope ass music <laughs> and like <laughs> ladies in kimonos we don't have those here waving and like it'll be fine we should just do that because look at this video that we saw can, can I can I interject something yeah do you remember the South Park puppet movies Team America of course World I Police? do yes. Okay. Now it's funny. Like the South Park guys. Sometimes I like them. Sometimes I don't. I agree with some stuff. They're they're, they're all... problematic in a lot of ways. Okay. but they're also funny. All right, but that movie was about the the liberal um, Sean Penn flower type people being very naive and getting sucked into Kim Jong Il's promise of world peace, and then he double crosses them. Well, and Remember? it was about George W. Bush's. Uh, World police, right? Right, right? We have to be the world police. We have to go literally police the entire world. Well, the point the point of that movie was, yes, these Republican hawk warmongers are, are dicks and they're terrible, but 
we need them because there's scary people out there. That was like their point. And you I can, don't know if I agree with that or not. No, no, ahead. I don't. I'm not saying I. I don't agree know with if it. That, I agree that that's the point of the movie. Oh, I think that's the point of the movie. Okay, we may disagree on that, but I'm not going to get into that because I haven't pre- seen it in like five. That's years. that's kind of the point of the movie, and and they're they're good at like calling out like bullshit and realizing things. Like little did they know, like no, 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 no. It wasn't the 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 hippie liberal types. They got suckered by the North Korean dictator. No. It was Donald Trump and Republicans. Yes. John Bolton, and I got to get to Bolton in a minute, but John Bolton was in that room when this shit was happening. And you know, he just has to be fuming and melting down uh, or biding his time because he knows this is going to go bad. And then Trump's going to be in a corner and he's going to say, okay, Mr. President, I fucking told you it's so. time for plan B, which and is plan bombs. B is great. Which is war. So I, I think that's I mean, Bol- if it's Bolton, right? I think that's Bolton's angle. Yeah. Uh, probably some others, too. I mean, you don't bring in a bunch of neocons just to become friends with a dictator. Like, that's not how they operate. Say what you want about them. They don't want to make peace with the North Koreans of the world. They want to destroy them. So I don't know if, if there's some 15 dimensional chess I'm missing. But um yeah, so that I, I don't know where else to go with that. Just the Team America thing occurred to me. I'm like, this is like the plot of that movie, but backwards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just like totally backwards. Like it's the Republicans who got suckered and are going to get like double crossed. That's the thing about like, right, Trey Parker and Matt Stone is that they sort of make fun of everybody. Um, and they do so in some ways that I find very, very problematic. And then other times you're like, okay, like, I, I don't know, I'm just kind of, I've been over them for a long time, but they, um, they also, like, the premise of the movie is really, like, this idea that, that the United States is responsible for policing of all of the countries in the world, and we should use all of our resources and do all of that, which is fairly a criticism of George W. Bush and the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan and, and how, you know, we want to spread peace and prosperity and freedom you know, and, and American values, um, and hot dogs and, you know, that kind of thing <laughs> all around the world. And that's our job. Yeah. But the, we should be the, doing. the big closing speech is we're dicks, but we need to be dicks so we don't get fucked is, was their whole, there's like dicks and assholes yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and pussies. And it's very, so problematic. Okay, it's very I, problematic. I see, I see language what you're wise. saying. Because well, language aside, what, what they're trying to say, I, is I, that, I, I hate that whole analogy anyway. Sure. It's assuming that assholes and pussies don't want to be fucked by dicks. And I just don't find that to be true most of the time. No, no, not at all. So I don't like the analogy, but anyway. <laughs> uh, but anyway, enough about that. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of a disaster and nothing's going to come out of it. And eventually they will double cross Donald Trump if Trump is still like president eventually, in, in though, a year or two. Doesn't it even seem like they've already kind of won? Like It, it might not take that long. Like if, if the criticism, if <clears throat> right now Kim is doing great he's riding high he 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 got to be a legitimate world leader next to these other next to the biggest leader in the world and then the americans unilaterally have stopped the uh which you want to call them the war games or whatever right off their coast which they wanted so that's great but if if something kind of goes wrong politically and he needs to seem tougher he will and that'll piss trump off and then the whole thing can disintegrate well, the whole thing can disintegrate at any moment that Trump feels slighted by this man. But the thing we were talking about a couple weeks ago was that careful operation that the North Koreans have 
about studying psychologically in detail the president and analyzing all of his tweets with these, you know, psychiatrists and psychologists and experts. They have yeah. carefully crafted and honed their version of what he is and what he responds to yes. well, what he doesn't respond to well, what he lashes out about, how to speak to him and what to do with him, you know, how to treat him in a way that they can just play him like a fucking marionette. Well, they I mean, obviously did because they got they got everything, everything they wanted, wanted and they got and nothing. And, didn't and, give he, up anything. and he came out of it being like he's great. So the, this is this we are we are the fucking marionette and the North Koreans just went like do 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 and Trump danced and now that's where we are. <laughs> like they already won in that sense. And so if even if they decide not to do anything, as long as they can keep playing his psychological profile proficiently, there's no point where he's going to be like I don't like them. It's the same with Putin, right? Yeah. It doesn't matter what Putin does because Putin knows exactly what to say and how to say it to him and about him. So well, that he's such a narcissist. It's not about anything but him. It's more complicated than that Putin. Putin has been financially propping him up for the past 20 years. Agreed. But also, but I, what I'm saying about Kim and, and the North Korean regime is that they have a very clear picture of who he is and what he responds with. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's like a fucking Pavlovian dog. Yeah. They know exactly what to make him do to make him salivate. <laughs> and they know what bell to ring and at what time. And as long as they keep doing that... It doesn't really matter what else they do to America or the rest of the world. Donald Trump's going to be like, no, they like me. Well, that's if he still They're has nice to me. That's still if he still has access to him. You know, he wants to bring Kim to Mar-a-Lago next, and oh, for fuck's his sake. advisors are going to try to going to try to stop that. Um, and if he if he doesn't keep getting FaceTime with Kim, if they if they stop him, because they've allowed him lit this, but they see how it went badly. And you know they they're not gonna want they're not gonna want to let those two alone in a room again because he'll give up something else, and you know right. But then you know he'll get in the room with the advisors and somebody will say some very carefully crafted sentence that makes him drool, and then he'll be like, "Everybody get the fuck out! I just want to hang out with Kim." And then that'll be. I mean, I don't know. Well, that's what I say. They don't want the the advisors are gonna probably try to keep them from meeting again ever <laughs> like let them have the stupid photo op and then we'll go you know back to business they, they know john kelly and mattis know that kim jong-un is not going to give up his nuclear weapons yeah they, they work at the pleasure of the president they realize they're working with a complete out of control buffoon and they're, they're trying to hang on for dear life is what's happening so Okay, I guess right. well, there'll be so much more to unpack with this in the coming weeks, but right now, let's move on to something else. Uh, Michael Cohen. Okay. Um, While we're on the Trump train, let's do it. Michael Cohen uh, may be firing his lawyers, or his lawyers may be dumping him for non-payment. They kind of dropped that story a couple days ago, well, so, so I don't know where it went. Did they file a motion to withdraw or not? I don't know. Okay. That's unclear. Okay. We should find that out because what we heard was that his lawyers quit, which lawyers can't quit. Um, what lawyers have to do if they're representing someone who's under criminal charges is that they have to. Now, he's not under criminal charges, right? No, he's just being investigated. There's been no indictment. There's been no formal charges. Yeah, then they can just yet. quit. Now, that's, just, that's, that's imminent. Yeah, then they can just quit. Once you retain a lawyer and you are under criminal charges or civil charges, either one in most states, certainly federally, 
Um, your lawyer can't just be like, fuck you and quit. Like they have to file a motion with the court to get permission essentially to not be your lawyer anymore. It's not very hard to do. You can make up a litany of reasons. And in fact, in some cases don't have to provide a reason. Like in Colorado, you just say basically irreconcilable differences. (laughs) Usually it's lack of payment, right? Usually lawyers don't withdraw unless there's lack of payment or the client ceases communication with the lawyer and the lawyer can't do anything without communicating with the client. You can't do anything on behalf of your client without your client's consent. Uh-huh. And so if the client ceases communication with you, then that's another reason to withdraw. But 99% of the time, it's the, the motherfucker didn't pay. Well, that's that's what they were saying before they dropped this story and moved on to other things. Um, that's what they're saying this might have been. And it might have been that uh, the Trump uh, orbit of some kind was taking care of the legal payments and then stopped or didn't want to anymore. But this is all speculation. Yeah. Right? Nobody There's knows. Nobody knows. Sure. So let's not speculate. We don't know. Yeah. It's possible, but like who fucking knows the story Trump that- doesn't pay anybody. So I doubt Cohen <laughs> would put his legal future in the hands of Trump paying for his lawyers. I, I just think that's highly unlikely. He knows who Trump is. Well, sure. But he also knows what he has on Trump and Trump. Yeah, but Trump doesn't know- pay his fucking bills. He knows that. Yeah, you know, he doesn't pay his bills to anybody, including his lawyers. I'm starting to get this sort of picture of Trump that at least he thinks that he has more or less inoculated himself from most of the more serious criminal shit by having others sort of more involved in it and him being able to claim a certain degree of separation. Mm -hmm. And I think that as this all unravels here with the Mueller probe and everything else, that those dominoes will fall, and and I think he will gladly put his kids, use his kids as pawns, and well, I think throw them under the bus too. If you think about where Trump comes from and the people he surrounded himself with, mobsters aside, right, sort of big money Wall Street, big business kind of people. If you look at like the movie The Wolf on Wall Street, or you look at the two thousand eight bank crisis and and the Great Recession and all of that stuff, I think it's true to a point that. When you're the CEO or the CFO or the COO of a Fortune 500 company that did some really bad shit, all of them were able to use this excuse of like, I didn't know. I'm the head of the company, but like, I don't run the operations of that department. How could I know? Right. And all those people got away with it. None of them did jail time and all of them got golden parachutes. Yeah. Yeah. So why would he think as Trump, why would he think that that wouldn't work for him? Well, he watched everybody else he knew do it. It worked out beautifully. So he's just going along the lines of the people that he knows that did bad shit, knew about it, lied about it, and got away with it. Well, It's yeah. a perfect business model for him, right? Sure. Well, as long as he's got Congress, yes. If he wants, but he doesn't, he's that's not a businessman. He's the president. There's well, a very different level of... of um, Legal culpability? Yeah. But he doesn't yes. see it that way. No. What I'm saying is that's the reason he's doing this. He's going down this path because that's what he thinks works. Yeah. That's what works in business when it just has to do with money. He also keeps flailing between, oh, so-and-so was just a coffee boy and they didn't work for me, to like today with Manafort, who we'll get to in a second, saying, well, he got a raw deal. <laughs> it's like, pick one, man. Like, you set distance yourself from the criminal who has nothing to do with you but then you're going to like die on the hill with him. You can't do both. Right. He had nothing to do with me. I don't really know him that well. He was a he coffee wasn't an important fetcher. part of the campaign. Yeah. Also, we're going to pardon him. <laughs> he did nothing wrong, though. 
He did nothing wrong, and we have plans to pardon him, and we also don't know him. Well, I think part of that is the media just really get, lets him get away with throwing all this shit against the wall, much of it being contradictory, and none of it really sticks. Like, he's unpopular, but if if it was Joe Schmo president and the economy wasn't doing so hot, like, the approval-disapproval would look pretty much the same. Like, y- you do have to admit, the the most bizarre thing about this is Trump, yeah, he's doing overall shitty, but he's not doing any shittier than George W. Bush when the economy started going south, really. Or he's fairly close to where Obama was in 2010. I like... I know. I think that there's something about that, though, that, like... Are there so many people that just aren't paying attention, is the question. Well... Or don't care about anything. I don't think that's true. I think it's that old, age-old question about polling. Yeah, and while 30% of people might think Trump's doing a pretty good job and 70% think he's not, the outrage and vitriol and utter abhorrence of this president... Of that majority. Of that 70%. 50, 60%, is, whatever. Is incredibly much higher no, than right. it was for people like Obama or Bush or Reagan or whoever had low poll numbers at this stage. And the people who are still there that like him, I would say probably 80 or 90% of that 30% really love him because they let him be racist. Uh-huh. And the other 10 to 20% are like, I don't really know. He's probably fine. I'm a Republican and I'm a little racist around the edges and I don't really pay attention. And I'm sick of those liberals and whatever. Right. And I, you know, I I fucking, no, and I hate Jane Fonda or whatever. (laughs) Jane Fonda. (laughs) That's really going back. Well, they, that's the, that's those people. Oh no. Yeah. My dad is, oh, our dads need to get together and talk about Jane Jane Fonda Fonda and Sean Penn. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with them on Sean Penn. Yeah. But for different reasons. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And Greg brings that up when he talks about polls a lot is that you, you, you can't, you're not really measuring when you're just doing a generic ballot or an approval, disapproval, you're not measuring um, the measuring passion and in, the intensity intensity. And that, that shows up on election day. And yeah. that's why, well, the generic ballot shows it's 3% and it's 5% and that's not a big difference. But then all these special elections, you're seeing 15, 20 point, you know, 25 right. points. Because normal normal times in normal American life, somebody can be like, I disapprove of the president and then not vote. But in these times, I disapprove of the president is translating to, I fucking hate this piece of shit and I'm going to vote and I'm going to protest and I'm going to register other people and I'm going to drive people who, these are people who have previously been totally unengaged are like political activists now. So it's not just... Uh, I disapprove and I probably won't vote. It's like I disapprove and I've done five direct political actions because I hate him so much. Yeah. Or even one, which yeah. is I voted. Yeah. Right. No, that's a really good point. And we'll talk more of that as we get closer to November. Uh, I hate to get off the rails here, but back to Cohen. He's apparently been telling friends and confidants and I just, the very lead of there is that he has friends and confidants that he well, is people that yeah. he knows things about that owe him. Well, that he or his secrecy or silence or whatever. Yeah, well, that he expects to be arrested or indicted any day, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's any day, but it could be soon. In the near future. In the near future, and then there's also these rumors that are just kind of floating out there that he's gonna flip or wants to flip or thinking about flipping, whatever. Until he does, he doesn't. And, and I could see Cohen playing these games. 
saying he's going to cooperate, then not really cooperating, then they threaten to put more charges. No, no, okay, now I'll cooperate. Like, he's not going to make it easy. All right, hold on, though. Let's just be really clear about this. The FBI has been dealing with mobsters and their lawyers and this game. Oh, forever. Forever. So no, here's their deal. I'm not That's saying a, it's going to work. Here's, I'm just telling you. Here's how that works. They get you. You say you're not going to flip. They throw the fucking book at you. You say you're going to flip. And there are very, very serious conditions that are very strictly enforced for your cooperation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if you fail to meet any of those conditions and or they find out that you haven't been fully cooperative, withholding anything or lied about anything, they'll throw five more books at you. Yeah. And they fucking do. Like they do that because they they use it as a like deterrence factor for like, look, if you're going to fucking flip, don't be like Bobby whatever over there. Look what happened to him. Mm. He lied to me about his sister-in-law's husband. He's doing, you know, 40 to life right now. For a tax evasion charge. He could have been home with his family. But he fucked with the FBI. And he lied to us about his sister-in-law's husband. Or whatever it is. Right? Don't be him. And they have specific examples to point to. Because Michael Cohen is a mob lawyer. He's not a regular lawyer. He's not like a regular guy. Right? He's He's all mobbed the fucked up. Right? He like... At least he fancies himself one. Oh, he is. So he's gonna maybe try to play those games. But I hope he's smarter than that. I hope he looks at... The history of how the FBI punishes informants who don't fully inform, and and sometimes those people end up dead because yeah. the FBI is kind of a I don't think shitty he... corrupt organization, and sometimes they're like, look, if you don't fully inform, we're just going to set you back on the streets, and maybe we, we leak that you're a rat. I don't know. I don't think he's that smart. Again, we we come back to this. Well, for Cohen to get where he's gotten, and for Giuliani <laughs> to get where they've gotten, and Trump, like they have to be smart. Like yes, in some ways. Yes, but more they're ballsy and ruthless and... They got connected early in life and then they just stayed in the circle. Yeah, they got connected and made the right moves. And and what Cohen has actually wanted, what what Cohen wanted to be was at Trump's side and working in the White House. And he never got that. Right. Probably because Trump knows that he's not great at what he does. He's great at being a, a pit bull and a fixer and threatening mistresses you know, and threatening newspapers who want to run unflattering stories. Like he's going to be in a mob <laughs> fixer and, and Trump uh, is mobbed up in all the shitty people he brings in at least like had the sense to know, like I probably shouldn't bring my mob thug fixer muscle guy into the white house. Probably doesn't translate that well. Right. Right. Or, or he just thought Cohen wasn't good or loyal enough, even as a mob fixer type. So this is really problematic, right? Like we're going to talk about Manafort in a second. And we saw the Manafort indictment and well, there's a lot of hair raising, eyebrow raising stuff there, but the, the direct connections to Trump are, or are like, um, in very indirect, right? You, right. you have to, you have to create some bridges to, to link that. Well, together. you have to find things that we don't have yet. Yes. It definitely It's not like, Oh, we're making things up that Paul Manafort is connected to Donald Trump in this. Like, it's not that we're making up. We just don't have all the details yet. Well, whereas with Cohen, it seems like a pretty direct fucking line, right? Well, that's what I'm saying. But Man, okay. Well, Manafort was his campaign manager, so yes, there's a connection. But in the stuff he was indicted for, in the way he colluded with Russia and Russian interests, and lied and embezzled money or um, committed fraud in all these ways, 
like you could make an argument like that was Paul's thing. Right. Like I get it, right? Yeah. That 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 isn't necessarily as damning unless Manafort flips and then who knows. But if Cohen flips or yeah. or when we if Cohen doesn't flip and we see that indictment come out or we see the indictment before he flips uh take the day off work yeah you know read the whole damn thing yeah it, it's going to be some shit and, yeah. and and i don't see how and it's not just trump right no I remember no. sean hannity's mixed up with this clown too yes and i'm sorry but like one of the big things that they've been talking about is his new york taxi business and if you don't know a lot yeah. about New York City and taxis, that might not seem like a big deal. But in New York City, taxis, there's no fucking Lyft. There's no fucking Uber. I thought they finally had it in New I York. think they're still fighting it. I'm, I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter if they have it now. His business has been for the past 30 years with New York taxis, right? Yeah. You have to buy a medallion. And there's only a couple of them, right? There's, there's a limited number of... Taxis that are allowed to operate in New York City and they're almost like inherited down and they're worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. People buy your medallion, which means buy your ability to operate a taxi inside New York City for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And some people split them like four or five guys will get on one medallion and then they'll just split the car and the medallion and they'll all drive. And yeah, it's a crazy thing because there's not that many cabs. There's a limited number well, that is allowed to drive in the city. And yeah. if he's involved with that shit, Tell me that shit's not corrupt. Well, in New York, tell me there's not money to be made and <laughs> some course. corruption going on, and like if that is his main business outside of quote being a lawyer where people can only find three clients, there is some massive corruption level shit going on. Oh in yeah, his business. it has nothing to do with Trump. He's fucked. The, yeah, the, the FBI doesn't kick down your door unless you're really involved. Right, and with it was, some well, shit. it wasn't the FBI, right? It was the. Uh, you're right. Right. And that's the State fun attorney. thing about Cohen, right? Trump can't pardon him from those charges. They're not federal charges. No. It's New York City and New York State specific charges the president cannot pardon you from. Right. Well, anyway, um, but all the stuff that links in the Mueller probe would be federal. So I. Right. I, but there's charges in there, I'm telling you, that have nothing to do with Trump. Nothing. Yeah. That are just like, this dude is fucking corrupt as shit. And like. If they can get him on all that and be like, look, let's talk about Trump for a minute or you're going to go to jail for the rest of your life on shit that he can't pardon you about. Uh This is state law and city law. This is this is law that you broke. You're going to be broke and you're going to be in jail. Or why don't you tell the special counsel's team about Donald Trump and we'll think about doing a plea deal. Sure, sure. Right? There's ways that law enforcement agencies. I, I just wanted to mention that in New York, New York also has these quote private car services, mm-hmm. which are essentially cabs. But they're, they're like limousines, though, right? Uh, That's what they. Lincoln Town cars. Yeah, and, but they, it's like a limo service as opposed to a cab service. But they're they're really cheap though. Like they're cheap. You to get one of those to the airport is like cheaper than a cab, and you don't you don't get them to like just. You don't a hail few blocks. One, right? yeah. You don't hail a cab. No, you you know a guy or there's a number at the laundromat and they may or may not be above board. You may be taking your life into your hands, but that's New York. So <laughs> that's that's I used them more than the cabs when I'm in New York. But in any event, um Manafort. So so Paul Manafort yes. was trying to 
get witnesses to lie for him while he was being surveilled, of course, while he was out on bond. And um, I'm going to read a couple excerpts from this piece from the okay. Washington Post because I wasn't completely clear on exactly what happened. And I think they do. I mean, the Washington Post. A federal judge ordered Paul Manafort to jail Friday over charges that he tampered with witnesses while out on bail. Um, a major blow for President Trump's former campaign chairman as he awaits trial on federal conspiracy and money laundering charges next month. Quote, you've abused the trust placed in you six months ago, U.S. District Court Amy Berkman Jackson told Manafort. The government motion will be granted. The defendant will be detained. Um, the judge said sending Manafort to a cell was, quote, an extraordinarily difficult decision. Can I just stop there and be like, I feel like judges don't usually say that sending people to jail is an extraordinarily difficult yeah, decision. Yeah. it's a rich, powerful yeah, white guy. Yeah, a rich white guy. They have no problem sending the mm-hmm. dude who's got no bail money when he's up on marijuana charges. Or, but he crossed state lines and now he's in her cart. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Send him to jail for 20 years. They do it all the time. Um. Uh, but said his conduct allegedly contacting witnesses in the case in an effort to get them to lie to investigators left her no choice. Quote, this is not middle school. I can't take away his cell phone. If I tell him not to call 56 witnesses, will he call the 57th? She said she could, should not have to draft a court order spelling out the entire criminal code for him to avoid, avoid violations. Quote, this hearing is not about politics. It's not about the conduct of the special office of the special counsel. It is about the defendant's conduct. I'm concerned that you seem to treat these proceedings as another marketing exercise. Um, so just to be really clear, because I'm about to tell you what the president said about all of this, um, the order to incarcerate Manafort capped off a months long fight over the terms of his bail. He had been confined to his home on electronic monitoring and other restrictions since he was first indicted October 27th during special counsel Robert S. Miller's probe of interference, blah, 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 blah. Manafort had been asking to post a $10 million bond and end the seven month of home detention. By just before 8.30 p.m. Friday, jail records indicate he had been processed into the Northern Neck Regional Jail in Warsaw, Virginia prison number, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so then, so what's happening is he was indicted. When you're indicted on criminal charges, you go to jail. Sometimes the judge lets you out on bond, sometimes they don't. Yeah. So he wanted a $10 million bond. So, okay, first of all, judge lets him out, but makes him in-home detention, which is like ankle monitor and shit, right? Can't leave your house. Right. He's like, I want to be let off the ankle monitor. I'll pay $10 million to do that. She's like, no. Then... She finds out that he's been witness tampering while at home, just like fucking calling witnesses, being like, lie, say this, lie, say that, lie, say mm-hmm. this, right? And she's like, you're not even allowed to be at your house anymore. You aren't allowed to have a cell phone. you got to go back to fucking jail, right? Yeah, and this is jail, by the way. If you're thinking like Federal pa- Pablo in the Escobar. Ass prison, it's not. No, or if you're thinking Pablo Escobar, he's going to have TV and pool tables. Like, no, it's jail. It's, it's a shitty little cell, and it's, yeah, it's jail. Okay, so the difference, though, between... He's not Gen Pop. Okay, but hold on. What I'm about to tell you is what the president said, which just makes no fucking sense. So what he did was, was charged with a crime, let out on these certain terms, which is what happens to everybody. You get a DUI, right? They can keep you in jail till after your trial, 
unless your lawyer makes a good argument that you're not a flight risk and you're definitely show up to court. He let you out, but they get to control you while you're out. Yeah. Like you can't contact the witnesses and you have to stay at home. He violates that, so the judge gets to throw him back in jail. Exactly. Just like your drunk roommate violates his in-home detention by like running down the street naked and he goes back to jail and everybody's like, well, fuck. Right. That's really different than... Another very specific after he example. Has, <laughs> then after he has been charged, which he has been, then he's been convicted, then sentenced, right? Once you've been sentenced for a crime, that's when they're like, okay, we figured out you did it. A jury convicted you of doing it. You're going to do seven years. Go to jail. Yeah, no. There's yeah, no bond yeah. for that. There's no bail for that. You right. just That's your sentence. You go to jail for seven years. Yeah, Manafort hasn't had that's a trial it. yet. Hasn't had a trial. Hasn't been convicted. Hasn't made a deal. He and... just fucked up his bond. Okay? So the president tweets out, Wow, what a tough sentence for Paul Manafort. <laughs> it wasn't a Who sentence. has represented Ronald Reagan, Bob Dole, and many other top political people and campaigns. Didn't know and Manafort you and me. Didn't know Manafort was the head of the mob. What about Comey and Crooked Hillary and all of the others? Very unfair. Okay, just so that we're clear, <laughs> he was not sentenced to anything. He fucked up the terms of his bond and he was put back in jail prior pending his trial. Do you think Trump doesn't know that? I difference? think Trump does not know that. And he's like, well, now he's just been sentenced to go to jail forever, I guess. Because <laughs> he like called people and told them to lie. I don't know. Like, no, that's just an additional crime, right? Not only did him witness tampering violate his bond, he also is now going to be additionally charged with witness tampering, which is going to add time to his eventual sentence after the trial when a jury decides that he's guilty, which they definitely will anyway. Okay, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap up the Manafort stuff about talk about if he flips and what that would mean. And then we're going to talk about pride. <laughs> okay. Don't and lots of other fun things and some really sad things too. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Back to Reverend Testimony. So just finishing up uh, Paul Manafort. Does he flip? Yeah. Okay, moving on. <laughs> um, happy Pride, everybody. Happy Pride. It's June. And uh, it's the month for all of us queers and the LGBT people, LGBTQIA plus community to... Uh, get together and celebrate um, and acknowledge that uh, love in and of itself is resistance and revolution. And we do so by having parades in the streets and, and it's lovely and it's wonderful. And I just want to talk a little bit about, um, about it because, you know, I think it's a time for not just LGBTQ 
IA plus people, but um, our straight allies of Trav, you are one, to come together and support us. And one of the things that um, is personal to me this week um, is the rainbow flag and the symbol of the rainbow for the LGBT community. And uh, I was having a conversation with one of my very dear friends who um, is herself uh, straight and um, Christian and uh, one of the loveliest human beings on the planet. And she uh, she gave me a pair of rainbow earrings today uh, to go to celebrate Pride, which I thought was the most lovely thing. And she gave me a little note with it about how you know, the rainbow signifies different things for herself and for me, but in the same way, it signifies the same thing, which is like hope and love. And uh, I thought that was the most lovely and uh, and kind gesture that, that a person could do for another person. And so I want to just talk a little bit about how the rainbow flag came about and why it's important. It is definitely the symbol of the gay community. You know, it used to be like the pink triangle, right, going back to the Holocaust and how um, uh, gay people were forced to wear the pink triangle as that was their insignia of why they were in concentration camps. Um, and then like the Lambda signal symbol and all of that, it's really come down to kind of the rainbow wouldn't you say. Yeah. And so the rainbow flag was originally designed by a San Francisco artist named Gilbert Baker. Um, he had met, uh, Harvey Milk in San Francisco Um, this guy, Gilbert Baker grew up in Kansas in 1951. Um, he fought in the, um, uh, Korean war. I'm sorry. He went to the U S army. Uh, and then after he was discharged, he taught himself how to sew. When he met Harvey Milk, um, and Harvey Milk found out that he could sew, he said, I want you to, uh, come up with a symbol of pride for the gay community. And so he did. Um, And the original flag that he produced uh, flew at the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade celebration on June 25th, 1978. Um, Some people say that he was inspired by Judy Garland singing Over the Rainbow um, because, of course, the Stonewall riots were as a result of her death um, and the mourning of the gay community in this gay bar in Stonewall and the cops coming on just really the wrong day to raid that gay bar. Um, And that's when the Stonewall riots happened. Um, There's another origin story that um, during the 60s, there was a world peace flag called Flag of the Races with five horizontal stripes, which were red, white, brown, yellow, and black. And he sort of took it from that. He said um, he got it from... uh, the hippie movement, um, and from that flag, but was also influenced by Allen Ginsberg, who we were just having an interesting conversation with her mom mm-hmm. the other night about. So the original flag, which is really interesting, um, was not the flag that we know now. Um, the first layer of it was hot pink, um, and then red, orange, yellow, green, turquoise, indigo, and violet. Um, the first two flags that flew, um, were hand dyed. And when the flag became really popular, they took the hot pink out because they couldn't find enough materials to make it in mass production for all the people that wanted it mm-hmm. after Harvey Milk's assassination. And then there were some other iterations of it. Um, this, I thought, was really interesting. 
In 79, the flag was modified because when the flag hung vertically from the lampposts in San Francisco's Market Street, the center stripe was obscured by the post itself. Mm. And so they changed the flag from that to an even number of stripes so that it wouldn't be obscured by the actual lamppost, which I thought was really interesting. Um, There's been a lot of... uh, controversy about the flag and um one of the the things that i find interesting about that is that um there's been this weird christian reaction to the rainbow right (laughs) there was this fucking guy i don't even care what his name is he's some evangelical preacher and he said recently um the greatest uh co-op uh co-op of culture um, in the history of the United States has been the gays stealing the rainbow from God. Okay. Was that, cause it, was it a, was there a rainbow God flag? Well, God makes the rainbow. Well, he makes everything. God right? makes the rainbow. God made the rainbow. And then those goddamn gays just co-opted it. I think it's actually water particles and they, reflect, they refracting. Took it, right. They took the, they took the rainbow from God. We stole it. I'm sorry. We didn't take it. We stole it from God. Okay. And somebody on Twitter responded to him and said, like, I love June as I love to celebrate all of the many accomplishments of the LGBT community, particularly our greatest accomplishment, which was stealing the literal rainbow from God. (laughs) (laughs) So happy pride. Um, Can I interject something? Of course. I think I've told you about this before, but I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast. The rainbow, the rise of the rainbow flag had some weird um, collateral issues. The uh, With sports? Yes. Yeah, talk about that with the Warriors. Hawaii, the mm-hmm. University of Hawaii. The team, used their mascot used to be the Rainbows. Well, it was the Rainbow Warriors, I thought. Mm-hmm. No, just the Rainbows. It, it, I'll, I'll tell you. Okay. It was just the Rainbows. And it was so cute. They had this That's little, adorable this little helmet with a, with a rainbow coming out of a cloud. Like that was on their football Aww. helmet. And that was like in the 90s, I think into the early 2000s even. And then they became the Rainbow Warriors for, for a very short time. They were the, So they tried to sort of incorporate both like, okay, we got to get a little more butch. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, we, we won't want to get rid of our like you know our tradition of being the rainbows and then like it only lasted a year or two and then they're like we gotta lose the rainbow thing altogether man it's uh it's not gonna happen it's not gonna work so, so now they're just the warriors i read the thing that there was a, a really short time for about a year and a half where they let um individual like they had like a vote basically on should we be called the rainbows should we be called the rainbow warriors should we just be called the warriors this was in hawaii yeah Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, and uh, and like it, there was so much like, th- you know, it was like very split, like 25, 25, 25. Okay. And so they kind of let people like pick their thing because, you know. And then in 2003, I think it was, whatever, yeah. the coach then yeah. was just like, fuck that, we're the Warriors. <laughs> uh, we're not doing this rainbow fag shit. Yeah. We're yeah. just the Warriors. Yeah, I think it was uh, June Jones who was this southern guy from like Kentucky or Mississippi or something. I forget who it was. Yeah. But yeah, he was like, no, no, none of that. Not having it. Not having any of it. Well, I think that him and the university as a whole just didn't want the controversy. Like people to question is this a gay thing is it right and i mean this is only 15 years ago but 
15 years ago was a different time than it but, is but now. But the point is it's all because of that flag. That's right. And the and the rise and, and the fact that it became more. I remember in the late 90s, I saw it start to pop up a lot more. Mm-hmm. And my LGBTQ friends started to identify it like they'd have stickers on their cars mm-hmm. or they mm-hmm. have patches. Mm-hmm. And like I didn't, Absolutely. I didn't really know. I had to ask. Like that's So the rainbow thing, that's like a... And they're like a gay thing, right? And I was like, yeah, is that what that is? Like, yeah, you didn't know? And I was like, no, I didn't. Because I didn't. I had no right. reason to know. Because <laughs> you were a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you're straight. <laughs> I was I was 20, maybe. Yeah. So and I, I had no idea. Okay, all right, that's cool. And then, and then, like, it was a year or two after that that Hawaii had to change their mascot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's permeated and it's saturated and it's lovely. And um, the other thing, like, not to, like, be a downer or whatever. But we have to also remember that, like, Gay pride isn't just, like, a big excuse to go, like, kind of, you know... Gawk. Dress weird and, like, get drunk in a park. I was going to bring a, that up. It's 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 a... We celebrate gay pride because we didn't used to be able to even be gay. Yeah. Right? The Stonewall riots happened because cops would target bars that were known to have these perverse people in them. And they would get arrested for things. And a bunch of um, drag queens and trans people of color and trans women in particular of color, Marsha P. Fields in particular, um, got really pissed off and started throwing fucking rocks back at the cops. And there was a riot around, you don't get to fucking just come here. We're not doing any, we're sitting in a bar drinking like everyone else doing nothing except crying about the fact that Judy Garland died and you don't just get to come in here and arrest us and harass us and beat us because you don't like us. Yeah. And that was the beginning of the movement. And that was in June. And that's why we celebrate Pride in June. is because that was the beginning of our movement to say we're allowed to exist in public space. We're allowed to exist, period. Mike Pence, fucking be damned. You're not going to electrocute it out of us. You're not going to arrest it out of us you're not going to do anything we're going to exist and so i hope all of you go to pride gay straight or otherwise lgbtqia plus whatever it is that you identify as i hope you go and i hope you celebrate that the the landmark uh the achievements that the community has made and the ways that we still have to get further the ways that we still have to go and for the straight people out there who want to go to the gay pride parade. Um, there've been some articles and some things that some people have taken some offense to like, why do I have to police my behavior at a gay pride parade just cause I'm straight? And I would just say this, like it's not about policing your behavior. Just, well, it ha- is have some respect, have some respect. First of all, this isn't your space. Yeah. Exactly. I heard someone say this earlier. It's like, let's say it's my birthday party and I'm having a party at my house. Okay. It's not your birthday. It's my birthday. And I invite you over to my house. Remember, it's my house and it's my birthday. So don't make it about you Mm -hmm. and don't trash my house because it's my literal birthday. Yeah. So like don't trash my house and don't try to make it about you. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't take pictures of people without their permission. If you're a straight person and you're in a gay space and you're a little uncomfortable, if a gay person assumes that you're gay and hits on you, don't go. How if you're a straight person really and you happen, are uncut, what? I mean, 
I, I've been to more than a few pride parades mm-hmm. and I've had guys make maybe a comment here and there or something. But like, is this like a genuine fear that like gay guys are just going to get swarmed or straight guys are going to get swarmed by gay guys and like cornered and this is the fear of straight men. But the reality is if you're in a gay space and you're a man or a woman that is straight, there is a definite possibility you're going to get hit on. You sure. And if you're uncomfortable with the idea of saying like, Hey, thanks, but actually I'm straight, but I totally support you and love what you're doing. Like, if you're uncomfortable with the idea that in a gay space you might get hit on, don't go. Yeah. Don't go. It's the same as being queer in everyday goddamn life and getting hit on by straight people. But I just wanted to make a point that, it, see, when when we say that, it gives this impression that it's this big debaucherous thing where there's just, like, so much sex and I mean it, it's there isn't but no that's what I'm saying it's like any other festival there's the people hang out and I they eat and they dance and they enjoy music and... I think it's even way less way 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 less hedonistic than most festivals this is a Agreed. family that, friendly event that's what people I that's what I wanted to, that was my point that's what I wanted to say but for straight people if you're coming to a gay pride event and you're straight and you are going to take great offense at someone assuming that you're gay because you're there <laughs> and saying like, hey, want to get a drink later? Or, hey, you're really you're handsome cute. or really what's cute. Or like, what's your number? That is that. Then don't fuck. Please don't come. Well, please course, don't come yeah. to my thing. I, I would please wonder don't come. if that's your attitude, why you would even please show don't up. come. But second of all, I want you to take a minute to imagine how gay people walk through life every single day. Everyone assumes that the the standard assumption is that everyone's straight. So the way that straight people walk around in the world every day, assuming everyone else is straight, right? Mm -hmm. We get this little pocket of all the queers coming together, (laughs) right? Right. And it's a safe little pocket. It's my birthday party at my house. And I get to assume that you're a person that I know that's like me. And if you're not, I don't think, I don't know any gay person that's going to be like, are you sure? Don't you want to? And like grab it. That's not going to happen. No. But if you have an offense to, if you're a woman and another woman comes up to you and says, God, you're really beautiful, happy pride. You want to have a drink later? And you're like, excuse me. I am not a lesbian. I don't want to, then just fucking please don't come. If you're a dude who's like, look, you know, my girlfriend sort of like identifies as bi and I don't really get it, but I'm coming for her and then some guy hits on me, I'm going to punch him. Please don't come. Just please don't go to gay pride if you're one of those straight people. I it's See, it's hard for me to imagine a person like that would show up. Well, it's a really big party and it's really fun. So a lot of people do. Okay. And the second thing is if you're really uncomfortable, you know, in straight space, which is basically everywhere... Um, you don't see a lot of gay people with a lot of really public displays of affection because we don't feel safe doing that because who goddamn knows who's standing around the corner and what kind of bigots, you know, at the bar stool next to you or in the cab that's driving you or whatever are going to say about your public displays of affection, holding your hand with your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner. Dogs. Um, 
So you don't see a lot of gay PDAs in straight space. At Pride, there's maybe going to be some people making out for a minute. And it's not like there's going to be a fucking orgy in the park, right? But you might see like a couple of gay people or a couple of like just people that you might not normally see publicly displaying affection in the park dressed in like rainbow tutus with glitter on them. And if that makes you uncomfortable, please don't come. And if if that happens in front of you and you have the tendency to look at that and go, oh my God, what is happening over there? What is going on? <laughs> Just don't come. And third, and this is for mostly for straight guys, if you see two women holding hands and they're both for you, conventionally attractive or maybe they're not or maybe it's just two people that you think are attractive please don't like ask them to make out in front of you or be like who's on top who does what to whom who's the man who's the Mm -hmm. woman who's does this do you guys use strap-ons like just just refrain from any of that if you want to come come and just try to enjoy our celebration without making it about you and without being gross okay that's all we ask fair enough Okay, second, it's June, and we're fresh off the anniversary of Pulse. Yes. It was the 11th, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, um, I don't know how many more massacres there have been. <laughs> Too many to remember in the last year. But uh, it's been, um, it was rough this year, you know, with the master keep, masterpiece, bigot shop, whatever fucking yeah, cake bullshit. We haven't even talked about the latest in that yet. I don't and think. Uh, and all of that, and you know, pulse still is a thing that hits really close to home and is really hard. I think for a lot of us, and the fact that it's tied into this mass shooting phenomenon, and then, you know all of the sort of media that the Parkland kids have been getting and for great reason and all of that, I think it's just another reminder um, that gun violence is an epidemic in this country and Pulse was the worst mass shooting at the time and isn't anymore since Las Vegas. Um, And not anything has changed. Um, And I you know, I still mourn for those, those people that died that day. And I, there's been like this really great um, video that's been passed around lately. Um, from the guy that does like American horror story and, um, whatever. And, uh, there's a bunch of celebrities that are like, just basically commemorating the lives of the people that were lost. And it's, it's worth a watch. All right, so um, from that, I guess I would just say happy Pride, everybody, and love each other a whole lot, and love whatever the way that you do, and uh, we love all of you. And, yes, we do. Uh, yeah, happy Pride. So moving on to something that's uh, not happy at all and maybe one of the worst atrocities that uh, we have seen in recent history is the um, separation of kids 
um, from asylum seekers at the border of the U.S. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let, let's, let's back up and explain the genesis of this because there's so much confusion about this right now, I think. Because once again, you've heard me say it a million times, the media is not doing a good job giving you context and backstory. This was an initiative that Jeff Sessions uh, basically brought to the forefront in the middle of April of this year. And this new policy was established and basically initiated then as what they assumed would be a deterrent to migrants who were coming and seeking asylum even, not not just illegal border crosses. That's another thing that the media is lost in the media. Correct. Many of these folks are simply seeking political asylum. Not just political asylum, but just asylum in general. Mm -hmm. And... um, there's a lot to say here, and I think there's a lot to unpack. I think there's two stories that we should try to cover in the next 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes each, one of which is the separation of children from their parents um, at the border, and then the caging of those children and the trauma that ensues. And the second thing is the um, new Department of Justice um, policy that Asylum seekers who are seeking asylum based on domestic violence and or gang violence will no longer be uh, eligible for asylum. Um, those two things are tied together because a lot of these women that are coming across the border with children who are seeking asylum are seeking it based on domestic violence and or gang violence. Mm-hmm. But the secondary thing about that is this new policy of not only do you not get asylum, but you, we are also going to rip your children out of your arms and put them in detention centers. Yeah. And those are two related things, but they're also two separate issues that I think we need to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. So which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, why don't we go ahead and, and talk about the, um, the policy, the domestic of- violence policy. Okay. So this one's really tough. Um, There's an article that I'm going to read a couple of excerpts from we're going to talk about. It's from The Intercept, and it's called The Misogynistic Logic of Jeff Sessions' Horrifying New Asylum Policy for Domestic Violence Victims. And what it talks about is how... um, I'll just read the first paragraph real quick, and then we'll talk about what it actually means. Um, When the United Nations adopted the Declaration on the Elimination of Violence Against Women in 1993, it gave long overdue recognition to the fact that gendered domestic violence is not a private issue, but a public health and human rights concern for the international community. Attorney General Jeff Sessions' decision this week to stop giving asylum protections for domestic violence victims stands in grim conflict with this principle. On Monday, Sessions reversed an immigration court's ruling that granted asylum to a woman from El Salvador whose husband had repeatedly abused her physically, sexually, and emotionally. The court ruled in 2014 that domestic violence victims constitute a social group when it comes to asylum considerations. But in a 31-page ruling with profound implications for immigration policy, Sessions wrote that, quote, generally... Claims on domestic and gang violence will no longer qualify for asylum 
and will not even reach the initial, quote, credible fear standard to allow an immigrant to have her asylum claim heard by a judge. Victims of domestic and gang violence, in other words, won't even be able to have their claims for asylums be heard. Yeah. The effect of his ruling could be sweeping and immediate. Immigration attorneys have said that this decision could invalidate tens of thousands of pending asylum claims from women fleeing domestic and gang violence, which often intersect in Central America and Mexico. Session reasoned that as victims of, quote, private criminal activity perpetrated by non-governmental actors, these asylum seekers fail to meet the legal standard to be considered asylees. Yet in conjuring the legal category of private crime, <clears throat> which has no legal meaning, Sessions and his Justice Department rejected the idea that epidemic levels of domestic violence put women in the societal position of a persecuted group. It is the very sort of logic framing gendered violence as a private rather than a systematic human rights issue that has enabled centuries of domestic abuse without any accountability. His claim that this is a private crime is a return to a misogynistic framework that assesses women as property, Mara Veridin Hilliard, executive director of the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund, told me. She said that under Sessions' determinations, crimes against women as chattel by the masters of a household or relationship thus are not human rights violations but just personal circumstances. There is no special status for private crime, she stressed. So just really quickly, I want to talk about how domestic violence historically has been treated by the justice system in the United States. And for a very, very, very long time, domestic violence and marital rape and um, any instance of a husband abusing his wife in any way was thought of as a, quote, private crime, for which there is no legal definition, right? Yeah. And therefore, it couldn't be something that could be looked at in the public sphere because marriage was viewed as a private enterprise in which a husband owned a wife. Yeah, even Michael Cohen said so. And so as a, par a person who owns something, you can't be in violation of law if you abuse that thing. So if I throw my TV out the window and the TV gets broken, the TV doesn't get to have a claim against me in a U.S. court. Right. And in this situation, women are the TV. And women are the property of men. And so when we talk about private crimes versus public crimes, what we're going back to is a system literally back to slavery and back to the times where women couldn't own property. Women were literally transferred as property from their fathers to their husbands. Yeah. And if their fathers had property that could be bestowed upon them, that property was not bestowed upon them, but was instead bestowed upon whatever man they were transferred to. So that's the way that, that, like, Sessions isn't just backwards in his idea that, you know, we should make America great again back to the 50s. When he's talking about private crimes against women, he's talking about women as property, mm -hmm. as times when women literally were the property of their husbands and were transferred with their father's property, including lands and funds, to their husband. Women were just a part of the property that was transferred. And so in as much as you couldn't rape your TV or abuse your TV or kill your TV, you couldn't do that to your wife. 
because you, the wife was your property. So nobody can arrest me for breaking this coffee table. Right. In the same way that no one can arrest me for breaking this woman. And when he's arguing in this atrocious human rights violative declaration is that brown women and women from outside of this country are not suffering from something that is a public crime, which is that they are being abused, and that's a crime that the public accepts is not okay, mm-hmm. but that they are victims of instead a private crime and something that the criminal justice system has no business being involved in. And that is as misogynistic and as backwards as anything that anyone has said, including Donald Trump and Mike Pence in in the last couple of hundred years. Well, it's also and it's, it's, it's complicated. Also, it's and people, also racist. It, absolutely. It, I think if there were scores of Canadian white Canadian women who were victims of domestic violence seeking asylum, you wouldn't have this private crime legal uh, argument that was yes. being made. So Correct. let's remember that. Correct. So all you people who the other week, you know, a few weeks ago were, oh, I f- actually feel bad for just Sessions because Trump is saying mean things on Twitter. Yeah, get over it. So here's he's, how... He's evil. While domestic and gang violence victims are not explicitly named in the accepted legal definition of asylee, the current definition is not as narrow as Sessions presents it. The law includes persons persecuted, quote, on the account of race, religion, nationality, membership in a particular social group or political opinion by a government actor and or a non-governmental actor that the government is unwilling or unable to control. The immigration court's decision in 2014 to include certain domestic violence victims as a particular social group whose persecutors, quote, the government is unwilling or unable to control was an extension of that social group category. Then they go into this this idea of these Northern Triangle nations, El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, and talk about the women and living in poverty and gang violence and their children and 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 how the um, El Salvadoran government found that impunity for crimes, socioeconomic disparities, the machismo culture continued to foster a generalized state of violence subjecting women to a continuum of multiple violent acts, which Amnesty International reported has high rates of violence, low reporting, and impunity enable prolific violence against women, which is why the court decided in 2014 that they could be considered a social group that were eligible for asylum. Mm-hmm. Because it is... It is. It is. We, women in these countries are a social group that are eligible for asylum in this country in as much as any other social group could possibly be. Yeah. And this argument that's been coming out of the White House about how, you know, well, it's not our fault. We can't control everything. You know, we can't fix the problems in other governments. And so just because, you you know, your husband beats you doesn't mean you get to come live in America. First of all, fuck you. Second <laughs> of all, when it is a systemic problem in a country and hundreds of thousands of women are experiencing it, and tens of thousands of those are experiencing it at such an extreme level that they are willing to risk their their and their children's lives to make it better. Makes it a social group. 
And that brings us to this idea that when they, these women, and I'm talking in particular women, there are men, of course, as well. But a lot of these people are women, and a lot of them are crossing the border with their children. Yes. And they're crossing the border, and there's this idea in the Jeff Sessions world that if we just make it known, the deterrence thing, right? Mm-hmm. This this third this third prong of criminal justice, right? Um, deterrence, which has never worked and it never will. If we just let them know that if they come here, their children will be taken away, then they'll stop coming here. Right. Right? So if you think for one moment that the women with children who are being so violently abused and oppressed and are so afraid don't know that when they get to the United States, their children may be taken away and put in cages. You're fucking kidding yourself. They certainly know now. They know, they've, they know since the first time it happened. Yeah. You think that we have good social networks in the United States? Let's talk about asylum and refugees and immigrants. They have the quickest and most mobile um, social networks outside of whatever fucking Facebook thinks it is that exist. And the first or second or third time somebody's kid was ripped away from them, they all found out and they all knew. Okay? These people know. And I've talked to two of them. And they have told me that everybody knows this could happen, but the idea that I could come across the border and it's possible that my kid could be taken away and it's possible that it's not is one part. The second part is, is preferable that my kid be taken away in America Mm -hmm. and put in a cage where I won't see them, but they'll be safe and I'll be safe at least for right now. And that there's a system of law and a rule of law that maybe I'll get to see my kid again is preferable to the conditions where I was living before. Imagine what those conditions must have been. Imagine what those conditions must have been to know that to cross that border and to go up to that border agent and say, I'm seeking asylum because these horrible things happened to me. And to know that your kid may be ripped out of your arms and put in a cage and you don't know when you're going to see them again, that's preferable to where you just came from. If that does not deserve asylum, I don't know what does. Yeah. And that should that should tell them something, right, at this point, if they were... It's not a deterrence. Right. It's like, not. Obviously, it's not a deterrent, and obviously these people still really need asylum, but that's not how any of this works, and that's not why they're doing it, and the arguments are specious. And again, for all you people that said there's no difference, might as well vote third party or not vote. Yeah, there is a difference, because Jeff Sessions, never in a million years under a Hillary Clinton presidency, would have been the attorney general or anybody like him. And you could still very argue we would have had bad immigration policies and deported too many people. Absolutely. But this shit that's happening now, this is why voting matters. Yes. This is a difference. How many of you out there are parents? Right? I'm not a parent. Trav, you're not a parent. No, just seven fur babies that are running around the house. And I, But I have a niece and I understand, I understand peripherally what it's like. And from a periphery to imagine that I was in such dire straits and my conditions were so horrific that I would do anything, including crossing a desert, 
and swimming across a river and walking into a hostile land and going up to someone with a gun who hates me and saying, I need help. And knowing that when I said I need help, that person would rip my child away from me, my 13-month-old child away from me and put them God knows where, that I knew that was going to happen and that was preferable to what I came from. I don't know what asylum means if it doesn't mean that person is so desperate for help that they will do anything to save the life of their child and their own life, even if it means extraordinary trauma. Well, let's pivot to politics for a second, because this is, thankfully, I was worried this was going to be a one or two day story, and then no. we'd move on. It's, Parents, it's man, not, moms, oof. It's blowing up. Moms and, are not fucking having this. Uh, and many religious leaders are not having it. Yes. Now, the same old awful, terrible Protestant type <laughs> religious sketchkeys seem to be all on board with it, or they're silent. Catholic leaders are not. And some of the evangelical leaders, the not evangelical, but like the like, you know, the moderate ones that like the uh-huh. gays, they've yeah. been pretty vocal about it too. Yeah, yeah. So you've actually had a lot of pushback, and the White House's trick has been to well, let's blame the Democrats because mm-hmm. that, that's like their trump card, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Well, the Democrats made this terrible law. Of course, it's a lie, and also it no, isn't a law. No reporter has bothered to say. Well, you're the president and your party has both houses of Congress, so go ahead and fix it. Or why? what's your plan to fix it? Nobody's bothering to ask him that. Of course there is no plan to fix it, and it's nonsense, and people aren't buying it. They know where this came from. Jeff Sessions went on TV and said, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> so, you know, this whole, oh, it's the Democrats' fault is really bizarre. Um, but, but can we just say, like, it's not just bizarre. It's, it's otherworldly. To say the Democrats created this loophole, which is forcing us to do this thing. It's forcing us to enforce this law we don't like. Right. It's the same with domestic violence. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Yeah. Right. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Well, we probably won't have time, but we're going to get to that at some point. Mm -hmm. But look what you made me do. There's this law that we are forced to enforce. This law does not exist. Right. And they're like, look, this law exists and we didn't make it. And there's this loophole. We just have to, we, we're an administration that enforces the law. Whatever the law is, we fucking enforce it. Enforce it, enforce it, enforce it. Right. And now they've been invoking the Bible? Hold on. Okay. So, being the party that controls all three branches of government and the Supreme Court, if you honest. had, that's all three, if you had any will, to make it so that you didn't deport families, or I'm sorry, didn't separate families, it'd be one, two, three punch. Yeah. House, Senate, President done. We don't have to. We don't have to separate families anymore. Period. It's the, the blaming it on the Democrats is sort of hilarious because it's like, cool. So the Democrats should fix it. How can they do that? Well, they don't. Are, even- are they going to write a bill that no Republicans sign on to, so it doesn't pass any House of Congress? And then the president can't sign it. Like, we don't have any fucking power. So you don't get to blame the Democrats for something that you can easily fix. But they don't even have to do what It's you not said. that it was the Democrats' fault in they, the first they place. They don't even have to pass like, a like law. The, 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 regardless, let's imagine a world in which the Democrats passed a law that said you have to separate families at the border. Sure. And the Republicans are so just 
appalled by this law (laughs) that they can't get over it and their moral sense of every child deserves a mother and a father right travis yeah every Mm -hmm. child deserves a mother and a father yeah every life matters all life matters matters. what about the children right if they were so fucking worried about it and the democrats did this horrible thing under obama guess what it's so amazing because guess what you get to do you get to pass a law that says fuck the democrats and that bullshit rule we don't want to separate families we want to keep families together so we're going to overturn this terrible democrat law that doesn't exist and we're going to make it so that we don't have to do that anymore but of course it's not about that and then trump says well the democrats won't just fix this loophole the democrats don't have any power yeah and remember that when you hear this shit remember we don't have any ability to pass anything without Republicans. Democrats okay. have nothing. Hopefully until still after November 2018, but we will be talking more about that. So we're out of time. Uh, okay. So glad Rachel's back, and obviously you are too. Sorry. <laughs> and um, I guess I had a lot to say. Voice will be even better next week, mm-hmm. I assure you. Who knows where the hell we'll be next week in terms of politics and Russia and Can everything else. Can you please send me your pride pictures? Yeah, to uh, at Irreverent Duo or irreverenttestimony at gmail.com. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to see your Pride pictures, and we'll retweet all of them. And, uh, and I love you all, and happy Pride. Stay active, stay tuned, stay involved. Talk to you next week. Bye.